Welcome to episode 73 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, whether you love cats or not, by the time we're done today, you'll be adding cat food to your grocery shopping list. And you might as well add some denatured alcohol to the list, too. For today's top five list, we'll be sharing the benefits of DIY alcohol stoves and a couple of the important risk factors as well. Then on the Summit Gear Review, baking while backpacking turns out to be a lot easier than you might think. And today's Backpack Hack of the Week is no surprise. It's the title of today's episode. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Well, the number one backpacking hack of all time is probably the DIY alcohol stove. And not only is it a really easy hack, but it boils two cups of room temperature water in about five to seven minutes. As we've talked about on previous episodes, there are lots of stoves out there that are faster, hotter, more adjustable, but the fact is that this simple stove that we're going to be talking about today gets the job done. And it's super cheap. And in a way, making this stove is like a rite of passage for all backpackers. Oh yeah, and this ain't no moonshine stove. It's not DIY alcohol. It's the DIY stove, and then you add alcohol to it. So Josh, do you want to kind of explain what kind of alcohol is best for this stove? I guess you could do your own alcohol too. That's really going hardcore on this DIY alcohol stove. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you just burn denatured alcohol in these stoves and denatured means that it's been made undrinkable. So you're using ethyl alcohol or ethanol, which is the type of alcohol that people drink. It's highly regulated stuff. And, you know, there's high taxes on it and everything else. Well, if you want to use it as a fuel, obviously you don't want to be paying all these high costs to use ethyl alcohol that is just going to be burned. So the way they get around that is by denaturing it, which just means they make it undrinkable. So once it's undrinkable, then it can be sold really cheaply because no one's going to drink it. So they add other stuff, like uh, in the past they added uh, methanol, which is poisonous. So you'd have like 5% methanol, 95% ethanol, that kind of thing. There's a bunch of other things they can add that make it undrinkable. But uh, one in particular is denatonium. I don't know if that's exactly how you say it. sounds like it has a root in denature. Denature, yeah. Anyway, it's the most bitter chemical that's ever been discovered. And so in just a couple parts per million, it makes something so bitter that no one would want to drink it. Wow. What else do they put that in? Like, is it just uh, something they add to alcohol or is it a... Oh, they add it to other things. You know, anything that they want to make sure people aren't going to accidentally drink or animals, I suppose. So, you know, antifreeze or uh, something to stop you from biting your nails or... I I don't know if that's what they use in the, you know, to stop babies from sucking their thumbs. I'm not sure what they use for that. (laughs) Anyway, that kind of stuff. While researching DIY alcohol stoves, also known as cat food stoves, I contacted Jim Wood, who is the godfather of the modern American cat food can alcohol stove, also known as the Super Cat. 
and he kind of piggybacked and pioneered so that we could have a highly efficient, for what it is, simple DIY backpacking stove. And he really gave generous credit to all the backpacking forums out there and the Zen Stove website for really being co-pioneers in the pursuit of the ideal project, the ideal vessel for a homemade alcohol stove. Jim said that the development of the three-ounce aluminum pet food can as a stove actually began with an accidental discovery while he was testing other alcohol stove designs. And I would have loved to have been there when he made that accidental discovery. Like, was he was he getting up to feed his cat and he had this empty cat food can in his hand and all of a sudden he was like, oh, Eureka! But I have to quote him. He said, One can't just punch a few holes in any old can and expect to turn it into a working pressurized stove. Turns out that the properties, volume, aluminum body, thin walls, etc., of most three-ounce pet food cans are uniquely suited for use as alcohol stoves. So we want to thank Jim Wood, the godfather of the modern American cat food can alcohol stove, for sharing some information with us and for advancing the DIY movement among backpackers. He has tons of projects on his website that we will provide the link to in our show notes today. Well, Heather, I know that you've loved experimenting with alcohol stoves. In fact, I think even before you started backpacking, weren't you playing around with alcohol stoves? Like on family campouts and... Yeah, I remember Yeah. that um, kitchen kit that you made for yeah, car camping. You're right. Yeah, and it had a, a can of denatured alcohol and a little cat food That's can. That's right. So this has been a kind of a long-held passion of yours, I think. <laughs> and today's top five list is the top five benefits of alcohol stoves. What's the first benefit? The number one benefit of DIY alcohol stoves is that they are crazy cheap. If you can afford a can of cat food and a hole punch, you can have yourself a stove that boils water in under seven minutes. And really, if you decide that this type of stove isn't for you, you're only out a couple bucks. So... It's a great kind of starter project. And even if you don't go backpacking, like Josh said, we've taken this alcohol stove on car camping trips. The number two benefit of using a DIY alcohol stove is that they are lightweight. Nay, ultra lightweight. My stove weighs only six grams. I want you to just let that sink in. Six grams, that's 0.2 ounces. A U.S. quarter weighs six grams, or 12 blueberries, or 384 grains of rice. That is insanely light. And normally being insanely light is great, but it does become a problem if you are using your Supercat alcohol stove in high winds. You really don't want your stove to blow away with all that fuel in it while it's lit. So you do have to be aware of that. But having a stove that is six grams, that's crazy. Now, you do also have to account for the fuel that you carry. And uh, there is a difference between alcohol and other backpacking stove fuels. Fuels can be measured in terms of their heat output per weight, and it's usually measured in megajoules per kilogram or kilojoules per gram. Either way, ethanol comes in at 30 megajoules per kilogram. Butane comes in at 50, so that's almost double the heat output for the same weight of fuel. Um, just by comparison, the metabolism of body fat in your body, that comes in at 38, so a little bit higher than alcohol. 
And then most of the food that we eat, uh, sugars, proteins, uh, also wood, like if you're burning in a campfire, uh, that comes in at 18. So that's like half the output of alcohol, uh, you know, for its weight. So alcohol isn't the most efficient thing to burn, but it's not the least. Right. It's kind of in the middle. And then you got to consider the heat transfer that's going on. So if you're using something like a jet boil, you've got the heat sink in the bottom of the canister that's putting almost all of the heat output right into the water that you're boiling. That's right. If you put your hand around a jet boil, you can't even feel the heat coming from that flame. It's amazing. Yeah. And if you put your hand around an alcohol stove, you'll notice quite a bit of heat just escaping into the air. So when you take that into account as well, the bottom line is that a butane stove like the jet boil is going to be much, much more efficient in terms of heat output per gram of fuel. However, you know, that's offset by the fact that the alcohol stove itself is only less than a quarter of an ounce. The third benefit of using a DIY alcohol stove is that it's extremely easy to find fuel. As Josh mentioned, denatured alcohol is a source of fuel. You can also use something called yellow heat, and that's spelled H-E-E-T. And that's easy to find in automotive stores or big box stores. Yellow heat is gas line antifreeze and water remover. So you'll see it right next to the red heat. So just grab the yellow bottle and that has methanol in it. And methanol is only 20 megajoules per kilogram, less than the 30 that you get from ethanol. You can also use moonshine (laughs) or green alcohol. This fuel works well, but it's very expensive. Yeah, so if you want to go out and buy Everclear, that's 95% alcohol, uh, ethanol, uh, that'll work. It's just kind of expensive. Another option is isopropyl alcohol, you know, like the rubbing alcohol, 90%. It'll burn really sooty. It's really cheap, but it's not really effective. So it's still an option. It's one of those things, if that's all you can find, then it really does work. But it's not the best option. And you don't even have to burn liquid in your alcohol stove. You can also use tablets. Uh, You might have heard of hexamine tablets. Those come in just the same as ethanol, uh, 30 megajoules per kilogram. Yeah, this was a little experiment that I did just on our back porch. I just put four hexamine tablets inside my little cat food can stove and lit them on fire and they burned and I put the pot on top of the stove and the flames kind of shot out the holes that were in the stove. I wasn't really happy with the results. What the hexamine tablets did was they kind of burned off the plastic coating inside the can, which made for a really smoky burn for about five minutes. And then there's all this kind of black, sooty stuff inside. It was, it was a mess. It's an option, though. But there's probably way more efficient ways to use your hexamine tablets. But it was something I experimented with, so we thought we'd share. Another option, and I think this is a really fun option, is not to burn fuel inside your cat food can stove or your alcohol stove, but to flip it upside down, because it doesn't even matter if you flip it upside down or not. I flipped mine upside down and I set the pot on top of it and I set four tea lights around the stove. So I used the stove more as a pot stand and the tea lights cooked the baked beans that I made a couple weeks ago. And tea light candles made from paraffin wax come in at 43 megajoules per kilogram. So they're actually like up there close to butane. Yeah, I was really surprised. I used the tea lights indoors and it was like cooking on simmer for about three to four hours. The water was bubbling and the beans cooked perfectly. So tea lights are a legit source of fuel. 
So once you find the fuel that you're going to use, you'll need about two tablespoons or about one ounce of fuel to boil two cups of water. And that's in ideal conditions. Of course, if it's windy or if it's cold or if you're melting snow, you're going to need probably a little more. The number four benefit of using an alcohol stove is that it is so simple to use. There are no repairs, no fuel lines or faulty click starters. It also doesn't need a pot stand. All you need really is a windscreen. It's also simple to use because it lights with a match or it lights with just a spark. I wouldn't recommend lighting it with a Bic because you would have to light the Bic and then tip the Bic down into the alcohol stove and the flame goes up and your hand is just kind of right there, right underneath the flame. So matches work best for lighting it. Or like if you have one of those flint strikers, those work great too. And then once you do have the stove lit, you just need to wait a little while for it to bloom or prime. Those words are kind of used interchangeably. And that means that you're letting the alcohol heat up so that when you do put your pot on top of your alcohol stove, you don't snuff out the flame. You want the alcohol to get hot enough so that when you put your pot on top of the alcohol stove, that the flame shoots out the sides where the holes are. So then you have kind of this sort of pressurized stove. And blooming or priming takes about 20 to 30 seconds. I've noticed that as it kind of gets up to temperature, you see the surface of the alcohol boiling. So I think what's happening is it's heating up enough to where the alcohol is vaporizing and then that vapor is what burns. So you got to let it build up that temperature before you go ahead and stick your cold water on top. And the number five benefit of using an alcohol stove is that it lends itself to infinite tinkering. Some people like to experiment with the number of holes that they punch or the placement of the holes or the size of the holes. You can also play around with wicking material or ground insulation or additional features like a simmer ring. You know, if you want to nerd out on this, you totally can. If you love charts, graphs, and data like Josh does, then the world of alcohol stovism will be a lot of fun. So those are the top five benefits of using an alcohol stove. I mean, they're cheap ultra lightweight, it's easy to find fuel, they're simple to use, and they're infinitely hackable. But to be fair, we do also want to cover some of the limitations of alcohol stoves. Is that your job? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it usually is. You need uh... to be the real one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is some, you know, fantastic fairy tale <laughs> if you listen to Heather. <laughs> All right. Keep it real, Josh. <laughs> okay. Well, so one of the limitations is that the heat output of an alcohol stove is not very adjustable. You light it and it goes. And that's pretty much it. So good for boiling water. Um, if you want to simmer for a long time, you'd actually need to make a completely different stove to do simmering. And then you'd have to bring both stoves on your trip. Yeah, I've tried to make a simmer a simmer cat is what they call it, so that I could do dry baking. So I know there's got to be an option for just having less output. I'm going to have to do some more research on it. Yeah, the trick is to get a stove that still primes or blooms and yet doesn't put out too much heat when it's up and running. So it's, it's not as simple as, oh, just make less holes or something. Right. But yeah, it's kind of tricky. Okay, another limitation of alcohol stoves is they don't have an on-off switch. Uh, once you light the alcohol, you basically wait for it to completely burn up. Then it's off. Now, there is kind of a hack for this, but 
I just want to say really quickly that especially when there's fire danger or there's been a really dry summer, your specific trail that you're on may require that backcountry users carry stoves that have an on-off switch. And so you may not even be able to bring your alcohol stove, even though you're so proud of it and you're so excited to use it, you might just have to leave it home. And that brings us to our next disadvantage. And this, I think, is the biggest disadvantage of alcohol stoves. It is the most terrifying aspect of using an alcohol stove. It's the invisible flame. Unless it's nighttime, you are not going to see the flame. And you're going to wonder if your stove is even on. And this means that you could light your stove and thinking that it didn't light You might walk away, or you might accidentally kick it over, or you might try to pick it up when in fact it's lit and it's extremely hot. So the trick is to see if the alcohol is kind of bubbling on the surface. And if it is, it's definitely on. It's burning. Uh, Obviously, you can kind of hold your hand over the stove as well to see if you feel the heat. But don't trust your eyes. And I just learned a trick for how to solve this problem. And I tried it and it works. It's really cool. All you need to do is add a pinch of table salt to your alcohol stove and you can put the pinch in before you add your alcohol or after. It doesn't really matter. And it doesn't affect the burn quality at all. It's really an amazing hack. It's You can try it at home before you go. I found this information on hikethrough.com, and we will definitely have the link in the show notes for that. And today's show notes are at thefirst40miles.com slash 073. The last limitation of alcohol stoves is they're not allowed on Boy Scout campouts. Boy Scouts of America says uh, homemade gear is forbidden on Scout campouts. But I thought a Scout was thrifty. Well, it would be the perfect project for the metalworking merit badge. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess they can make it at home, and then they can use it on a family campout or something. Yeah, they certainly could. They just can't bring it on their scout campout. Well, I guess another reason for not using it on Boy Scout campouts is that the Super Cat alcohol stove is really meant for cooking for one to maybe four people. I mean, you could probably get that much water to boil. It's not meant for an entire troop. Plus, I don't think the Super Cat could support a six-quart Dutch oven. Yeah, it may not support Dutch ovens, but hey, it's trustworthy, helpful, thrifty, and clean burning. (laughs) For today's Summit Gear Review, we're going to review the Packet Gourmet Baking Kit. Yesterday, Josh and I went to an event at our local elementary school called the Invention Convention, and all the fifth graders had invented something. And they had also been taught how to talk about their invention, you know, about how to identify a need, a a customer need, I guess, and and identify how their invention solves that need. (laughs) So we walked up to each student and they gave their pitch. And this is how it went. Have you ever wondered if it's possible to have fresh baked goods on the trail while your wildest dreams are about to come true? Something like that. Every single one of them had been coached in this, you know, have you ever fill in the blank? It was adorable. So have you ever wondered if it's possible to have baked goods on the trail? Yeah, I have. And I've seen like large backpacking ovens that weigh a couple pounds, but... I knew there had to be a lighter way. And so when I found this baking kit, I was so excited because baking adds this element of hominess and comfort on the trail. And there are lots of different outdoor baking methods. Uh, we've talked about dry baking a little bit in the past, solar baking, 
there's mud oven baking, but the method of baking that's used by the Packet Gourmet Baking Kit is called steam baking. And it means that your baked goods will cook at a lower temperature, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. They will be incredibly moist, and there is no risk of burning your baked goods. So steam baking is good for something like um, cupcakes. Yeah, that would be great. So this baking kit has a silicone steamer that lines the bottom of your pot. It's basically a thin piece of silicone with holes in it, and you add water to your pot and the silicone steamer helps keep your baked goods from touching the bottom of the pot. It also comes with four silicone muffin cups, and it has a scraper, kind of like one of those pot scrapers that you use when you're washing dishes, and it has a little whisk. I'd have to say those last two items are probably unnecessary, and on the website you can just buy the silicone steamer, which I think is the most essential part of this baking kit. For utility, You'll need a half an inch of water in the bottom of the pot. So you want enough water in the pot that it doesn't cover the silicone pad that you've placed inside your pot. And you don't want to put in too little water because you don't want that water to boil off completely. You might need to check every once in a while to make sure that you don't need to add more water. You just don't want it to boil off completely. In terms of mass, if you take just the silicone base and the four muffin cups from the Packet Gourmet Baking Kit, uh, that comes in at 3.6 ounces or just over 100 grams. As far as maintenance goes, definitely bring paper muffin liners for easy cleanup. You know, I love the little silicone muffin things that it came with, but as far as cleanup goes, silicone is not as nonstick as people think it is. So yeah, you could spend about half an hour licking all the molten lava cake out of all the crevices, or you could just bring paper muffin liners and it's much easier to clean up afterwards. Just like paper muffin liners, the silicone muffin cups are fluted all the way around, which is great for structure, you know, so they don't just flop over. But that's where all the food gets stuck is in those little, you know, ridges. You'll want to store the Packet Gourmet Baking Kit with your food when you're out backpacking because it's going to pick up odors while you're baking, which will make it a fun chew toy for the local vermin if you just leave it outside of your tent. (laughs) So definitely keep it in with your food. For investment, the Packet Gourmet Baking Kit costs $20. If you already have silicone baking cups and you just need that uh, silicone steamer to go in the bottom of the pot, uh, they sell that separately. It's $10. So we brought the Packet Gourmet Baking Kit on our most recent trip to the Salmon River, and we made the Packet Gourmet Chocolate Molten Lava Cakes. Now, it's nice when you get a new piece of backpacking gear to be able to try it out at home before you try it out on the trail. I tried this out at home and it was really easy to use. And then we tried it out on the trail and it was just as easy. And the thing that I loved most about this baking kit is there's no risk of burning your baked goods. The texture that the baked goods have when they come out of, you know, being steamed in your pot is similar to a Chinese steamed bun. It's not going to be browned at all, but it's going to be really moist, and it'll be fully cooked, but there just won't be that brown crust that we're all used to. We used our Jetboil Minimo as the stove. The Minimo has a simmer setting, but I think there was still the challenge that even on simmer, the Minimo, you know, any Jetboil stove, is directing all of the heat output into one little spot. 
But with the Packet Gourmet kit, it wasn't too big of a deal because there's the water in the bottom of the pan, and so the Jetboil is causing that water to boil. So even though it's hitting it just in one spot, it's okay. The water boils, makes the steam, then you've got the consistent temperature of the steam cooking your baked goods. If we were to try dry baking in our Jetboil, even the Minimo, I mean, it would be a disaster. Yeah, steam baking is great because it disperses the heat perfectly. You have this pot where everything inside of the pot is 212 degrees. It's like a 212 degree easy bake oven. And even if you're just going to make something quick, like Bisquick biscuits, it just adds an element of depth and variety and anticipation to the meal. And as I mentioned, this baking kit comes from Packet Gourmet, and Packet Gourmet is legendary among seasoned backpackers. Haha, <laughs> seasoned? I don't know. Did that, uh, uh, that wasn't really a joke. I'm sorry. This is a really fun company to check out, so we'll provide the link in the show notes as well. For today's backpack hack of the week, homemade cat food. Many people enjoy bringing their cats on the trail. So for today's Backpack Hack of the Week, you'll learn how to make homemade cat food. Oh, I can't wait. It's so great. You put that in the outtakes. Nobody's going to want to make homemade cat food. Yeah. So to make the DIY alcohol stove, also known as the super cat or the cat food stove, and people have even referred to it as the fancy feast stove. That's oh, the, nice. the classy version. So probably trademarked. Yes. You'll need a three ounce can of the cheapest cat food you can find. And it's important that the can is aluminum. If you don't have a cat, you can also buy potted meat, which looks a lot like cat food. That also comes in aluminum cans. So how do you tell the difference between steel and aluminum? Do you have to bring a magnet with you? <laughs> well, I guess that would do it. Aluminum usually has that kind of that dull gray finish and steel usually has a brighter finish. So whether you get the cat food or the potted meat, these cans usually have pull-top lids. So you'll want to empty out your can into the nearest cat food bowl and then clean it out really well with soap and water. Just be careful of that interior edge that's left by the pull-top lid. You don't want to cut your finger. Then take a Sharpie and evenly mark 15 dots all the way around the can. The center of the holes should be about half an inch apart and the top of the first row of holes should be about a quarter inch from the top of the can. So you'll have one row of 15 holes all the way around the top of the can. And then the second row of holes, you'll also need 15 holes. However, these are going to be an eighth of an inch below the first row and just offset from the first row of 15 holes. Yeah, so you're making kind of a zigzag pattern between these two rows of holes. And so when you're done, you've got the top half of the can with a bunch of holes punched in it, you know, two rows, and the bottom half of the can is still completely solid. And you can find the original design for this stove at jwbasecamp.com, and we will definitely have the link in the show notes, um, along with the link to Zen Stoves, which is a website that Jim referenced. After you've put together your stove, you'll also want to assemble a few other things, including your fuel bottle that is well-marked. You'll also need a windscreen, and there are designs for windscreens on jwbasecamp.com. And you also will probably want a snuffer, although it's not necessary, but I think it's a really safe thing to have. So there you have it. That's the uh, DIY alcohol stove or the, the cat food stove. Cat food can stove? Oh, super well, cat? Anyway. Super cat. Yeah, so many nicknames That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So we haven't really talked about how to use these stoves, but, you know, real quickly, 
You can pour, what, a half inch of fuel into the bottom of that can, light it on fire. Like we've talked about, it can be hard to tell that, that it has actually lit, so be careful about that. Let it burn for 20 to 30 seconds to get up to temperature, and then you can just stick your pot directly on top of the stove, and away you go. I do want to say one thing about windscreens, because some people, they'll just put up a solid windscreen all the way around their alcohol stove, when in fact, it might be better to have some holes punched in your windscreen to allow oxygen to get into your stove to feed the fuel. So that's a good thing to play around with too. Maybe watch the data, watch the numbers, and see how efficient your stove is. I think you'll find that it's a lot more efficient if you have that airflow. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Vincent Van Gogh. He said, The beginning is perhaps more difficult than anything else, but keep heart. It will turn out all right. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, then get outside or start planning your next adventure. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. Three benefit of using an alcohol stove. No, one, two, three, four. <laughs> All right. <Yeah. laughs> you can also play around with wicking material. Bleh. <laughs> what was that? Taking all that out. So <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> so stop talking. <laughs> it's not going in anyway. <laughs> I don't need to say anything. So we'll let our first 40 milers decide if the downsides of alcohol stoves. No, if the upsides outweigh the downsides, <laughs> that's it.